Good morning, everybody. Well, it's Let's Chat on Wednesday morning. And today I'm covering the topic, our journey of hope, faith and grace. I would just like to open in prayer before I start and invite you to come and listen and receive something this morning from this message that God has laid on my heart. Father, I want to thank you for your incredible, beautiful grace. I want to thank you that we can draw from you abundance, absolute abundance. I want to thank you that you have called us for a time such as this, that there's just so much that you want to achieve in this world, in this hour and at this time, and you're looking for the whosoever is prepared to come into agreement and into alignment with your plans. We worship you this morning, Father God, and I want to thank you for your brooding spirit in this place. I want to thank you for such revelation. I want to thank you for unlocking things for people to be able to see. And I want to thank you, Father God, that we can completely trust in your Holy Spirit to be the after teacher and to take people into a deeper place in you. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. And I just want to share some thoughts with you that have been on my heart and really been disturbing me when it comes to counseling and spending time with people and just getting the understanding of how many people have real have really got no revelation of what it means to have faith, to walk in hope, and to be full of the grace of God. The understanding of those three words that are the foundation of our biblical walk in God are just so shallow. They just don't seem to have the revelation of what it means. What does hope mean? What does faith mean? And what does grace mean? So I'm hoping to unpack something of that for you today and to give you a clearer understanding of what the word says about faith, hope and grace. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is Paul writing to the Philippians and he says to them, We thank God and we remember before God that everything you've done was done out of faith. The reason you did it was because of the deep love that is in your heart. And the the, the quality, the endurance that kept you going was the fact that you had such hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the journey that we walk in God. That is the journey that's been laid and set before us. It says in Romans um, 3, 5 verse 1 to 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have at- obtained access by faith into this grace by which we've been established, by which we stand. And we rejoice because our hope is in, the, in God's glory. Friends, what does the word hope mean? Well, in the Old Testament, it means expectation. In the New Testament, it means an expectation of good, a confident expectation, but it also means an expectation of evil. And so we can see that according to the New Testament, our expectations are really important because what we expect to happen is what we're going to wait to see happen. And if we've got an expectation on good things and a confident expectation in that which is good and that which is God, guess what we're going to be receiving in our lives? But if we have an expectation of evil, 
then we are expecting bad things to happen. And so many of us are living with the expectation of evil. The times are evil. There's darkness all around us. But in the times that are evil and darkness, friends, it is our responsibility to have a hope of an expectation on good because God is good and he turns everything to the good. And if we have an expectation on good, then the result of what we're going to see manifest in our life is going to be good. But if we have an expectation of evil, always waiting for bad news, always waiting for a bad report, always waiting for bad results, guess what, friends? That's all we're ever going to see. And that's when people get hope deferred and their hearts become sick. Romans 5 verse 2 says, Since you have been justified by faith, we have peace in God. Friends, the walk and our journey of peace is that we find peace in God because of hope, because of faith, because of grace, because Jesus did it all. And we've just got to come into his slipstream. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. The word sick means to become weak, to grieve, to be diseased and to be wounded. You know, I do a lot of counseling and most of the people that I counsel either know God or at one point or another have said that they've known God. But the tragedy is their hearts are sick. They've got hope deferred. They're weak or they're grieving or they are tormented or they're diseased and they're wounded. They're offended. Why? Because their hopes have been deferred. Because they did not receive what they believed they would receive. Why is that, friends? Well, most of the time when I ask them questions and I dig a little deeper, I discover this. Their hope was on people. Their hope in God was a presumption, not faith. They were, had hope on prophetic words that people had given them. But they couldn't tell you what God had told them personally. They had hope in situations. They had hope in their finances. They had hope in fantasy. And friends, this is a very scary thing when people have hope in fantasy. What does it mean to have hope in fantasy? It means that you see somebody else in the perfection of what they've been called to be when they're not living there. And then when they don't rise up to become that, your hope is deferred. Or you see yourself in the perfection of what your predestined calling is. But you haven't risen up into that and therefore your hope is deferred. So many people are sitting saying, God promised me this 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but nothing's happened. Friends, nothing happens unless we come into agreement and into alignment with the plans and the will of God. And we have to understand we have a massive big part to play. I really want to say to every single person... <clears throat> never build your future or your hope on somebody else's prophetic word over you, about you, or about somebody you love. That is the word that they have got that God has given them. But if that word wasn't birthed inside of you, you have to carry the conception of your destiny. You've got to carry the baby in your womb. You've got to be the one that's carrying it to bring it into full um, maturity and into, into conception, I mean into, into birthing. You've got to carry it. There might be the prophetic word which is like the egg or the prophetic word which is like the sperm, which God is saying, this is what I have for you. But until the two of them are conceived in your womb of your revelation and until you are carrying it and you are praying into it and you are the one that's saying, God, what do I need to do to bring it into fullness? 
That is a hope deferred, friends, because you are expecting God to do something where you've got no part to play in it. You know, faith without works is dead. But if we don't do something, there's nothing's going to happen. And so it's really important that we understand that. So what happens when our hopes have been deferred? Well, we put hope in people. And they haven't lived up to it. So we got upset with people. We blame God. I find it so sad how many people blame God because they got offended with a person who called themselves a Christian. We get offended with a church because the church doesn't meet our needs. We blame God. We get offended because somebody got sick and somebody died. Or we blame God. We forget that the enemy is the one that comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. <clears throat> But we blame God for everything. And then we become feel forgotten. We get angry. We have unbelief. We feel hopeless. We feel rejected. We get hard-hearted. We are blinded because the God of this world has blinded those who do not believe. And we get depressed. All because our hope, which was in the wrong thing, was not answered. Friends, we have to put our hope in God. We have to put our hope in the predestined calling that God has got for you. God has got predestined callings for everybody, but every one of us are responsible for coming into agreement with that. I cannot make somebody else choose to live in the fullness of their lifestyle. I can only suggest it and lead them to the water, but they're the ones that have to drink. They're the ones that have to conceive it within them. And I cannot get disappointed or upset because I don't see the fulfillment of the hope that I had in them. Because God says, I have to put my hope in him. And friends, your hope in God is for your destiny, for your children's destiny. And then you train them up in the way that they should go until they can choose. We have to understand we have a massive part to play. And there are so many Christians walking around, hurt, broken, rejected, hard-hearted. Because hopes have been deferred, but they put their hope in people. They put their hope in a church. They put their hope in a system. They put their hope in finances. They put their hope in circumstances. And they put their hope in prophetic words. But they never asked God what his opinion was and what he wanted them to do personally. Our hope has to has to have a, def, a, a response there's a demand that comes with hope and that is obedience we have to be obedient to what god has told us to do hope always will cost sacrifice there's always a laying down of something to be able to pick up another thing and hope is a walk and a journey of faith and grace it says in hebrews 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance or the foundations of things hoped for. It means what we wait for, what we trust for, and what we are confident in. And it is the evidence or the proof of things not seen. So what you hope for in God, you need to ask him to give you the faith to be able to bring that hope right down into the physical. Faith is always attached to something that you cannot see. If you can see it, it's not faith, friends. If you can pay for it, it's not faith. If you can make it happen, it's not faith. Faith is believing for something that is impossible for you. But it's incredibly powerful and possible for God. But we have to ask God first, what is it that he wants us to put our hope in? And I want to tell you, friends, that we have to be very, very careful that we do not put our hope in fantasy. You know, I've seen so many times when I've been counseling people or talking to people or spending time with people, they'll say, oh, God said that I've got a prophetic word over my life. I'm going to be an apostle to the nations. 
And they're already living in that place, seeing themselves in the place of being an apostle to the nations. But they have not allowed God to deal with their character. They've not allowed God to deal with the very foundations of what they need to get there. And then when they're not there in a year or two, or they're not there in five years, it's everybody else's fault because no one's recognized them. And they're mad at God because it hasn't happened. Friends, it's a step of obedience. It's one step at a time. And God is going to deal deeply before he will open wide the gates for us to walk through things and to establish things. He's got to build you into the person that can carry that anointing. And I want to tell you this. Hope is a gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. And grace is a gift of God. But to surrender, to lay down, to be able to allow God to develop it is going to cost you. And that is effort. And that definitely means you've got to lay down yourself for the sake of the kingdom. It's not going to fall on your lap. And it's not a highway into pleasure. And it's not a highway which is all about you. Because it's all about the kingdom of God. I've heard people say, you know, God said I was going to be anointed in finances and I was going to be rich and I was going to help other people. No, friends, anything that makes you sit in a position of glory is not God's plan for your life. God might have a word for you that you're going to be anointed in business and that you're going to have money flowing through for the kingdom's sake. But the moment that you're sitting on the throne and you're the one receiving the glory, you've got to be very, very careful of those type of words because they puff you up and they create a fantasy. And they are fantasy which will bring a hope deferred because God's reality is never about sitting as a king on top of the throne. The more, more, the more um, there is superiority or promotion in the things of God the more we lay down our lives the more we serve the more we on our knees before God and the more we serving other people and the more work there is to be done it's never about being puffed up it's always about laying down and we have to be very careful of a fantasy hope that looks like a puffed up worldly system because that will not be fulfilled and we will have hope deferred and we'll get hard-hearted and angry and bitter and twisted. And it was because of unfulfilled destination that a whole millions of people died in the wilderness and never moved into their fullness because they never fixed their eyes on what God had, what God wanted and what God's promises were. They kept their eyes focused on their own needs, their own flesh and their own desires. What is faith? In the Old Testament, faith means to be steadfast, to be stable, to be a support, to be firm, to trust, to believe, to stand on truth. It means to be unshakable. In the New Testament, it's P-I-S-T-I-S, P -I -S -T -I -S, and it means the conviction that God exists, being absolutely unswayed, convicted that God exists. It means to be fully persuaded. It means to have a conviction it means to believe and it means an unshakable assurance. So faith is something that cannot be shaken, friends. And it is believing and being unshakably rooted in something nobody else can see. That's why you have to know what God said before you pour yourself out to stand on something that is going to be a hope deferred because it's faith in what you think rather than faith in what God has said. Too many people are calling it faith when they're living in presumption. What's the difference? If God says, I want you to move to England, 
I want to tell you, no limitation of man will stop you getting there. When you are fully persuaded that that's what God has said over your life. And every time God speaks into our life, friends, we have to have at least three witnesses. He starts off by speaking to you. It's got to be birthed in you first. The second witness is scripture, where we get scripture that comes into agreement and alignment with what God has said. The third witness is another prophetic person or another person coming and confirming that doesn't know about it. If they know about it, they're telling you what you want to hear. They're telling you what your itchy ears want to hear. And God says, be careful of those teachers that tell you what your itchy ears want to hear. You want someone to confirm it that doesn't know or doesn't have a clue what God's been speaking. That's when you get the confirmation. If you're married, it's vital that the, the couple are in agreement with each other. God always works out of agreement. Now you can put your faith in it. Now you can absolutely unshakingly stand on the promise of God. And one thing I want to tell you now is that the promise of God is usually revealed when every door is shut and it's called impossible. People so often say, yeah, but the doors were open and therefore we knew it was God. Well, I want to tell you something. Man opens doors. The devil opens doors. And most of the time when God opens doors, it's because they are so tightly shut, it's impossible. So the journey that God has got for you is usually the journey that looks like there are no doors open. And then as you put your faith behind it and as you fix your eyes on Jesus and you fix your hope in him, he starts breaking open and making a way where there seems to be no way. That is the way God works. Friends, do not believe it's God just because doors have opened. Because most of the time, doors that swing wide and swing open are not God's doors. You have to know what God has said unshakably know what God has said. I have spoken to hundreds of people. And when I say, what did God say to you? Well, so-and-so gave me a prophetic word and it felt good and the door opened and there was better money. That is not God. That is a trap for you to walk into and end up going around a massive big mountain called the wilderness. And that's when people get broken and heart sore and hurt and lose their way in God. God is number one where you spend intimate time and you hear what he says to you. You wait for that confirmation to come. You get the green light of confirmation. And sometimes it takes time. It doesn't all come in, in a quick fix. Sometimes it will come over a year or two. You do nothing until you've got that confirmation. Then you put your hope in that and you trust God for that. And then you watch what he's going to do and you ask him, what do you want me today? What do you want me to do today to come into agreement with what you are doing over my life? That is the faith walk, friends. When we are fully persuaded, whatever you are fully persuaded about, you will receive. That's how faith works. Now, many people are fully persuaded about other people or they're fully persuaded in their circumstances or they're fully persuaded in their finances or in the promises that others have made or they're fully persuaded in medicine. But they are not fully persuaded with their faith in God. Mark eleven twenty two says, And Jesus said unto them, Have faith in God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith. It is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek him. Friends, 
Too many Christians are walking a counterfeit walk in hurt, brokenness and absolute hard-heartedness because they're walking in presumption and they're putting their faith, their fully persuaded faith in other things but not in God. Now once you've put your faith in God, God can use people, God can use circumstances, God can use medicine, God can use finances, God will reveal promises. But it has to be in God. And then out of that, he decides how he's going to unfold his plan. Walking in faith is a journey of allowing God to be fully in control. And that's the part that we find difficult because we want to be in control. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, For we walk in faith, but not by sight. You know what that means? That means that on the 17th of the month, you can't see the money that's going to cover your debt at the end of the month. That means you wake up in the morning and there won't be food to be able to feed your family for the rest of the day. That means you'll be in a situation where this is what you're hoping for, but nothing of that is, is there. It's not tangible. That means that you'll, you'll trust God and have heard your God, the Lord say that your child's going to study at some fancy university, but there's not one cent for them to be there. But you put your faith in God and you watch how God unfold his plan. And while you watch for God to unfold his plan, it's not called anxiety. It's not called fear. It's not called worry. And it's not called begging. All of those qualities are the qualities of unbelief. It's standing, God, I believe you. You've said it. That's settled. I don't know how. But I'm not even worrying about that. I'm fixing my eyes on you. I'm loving you. I'm worshiping you. And I'm being obedient to what you tell me to do. And you watch how God unfolds his plan. He will then direct your path to people or to finances or to the right situation. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Keep examining yourselves to see whether you are continuing in the faith. Test yourself. You know, don't you, that Jesus Christ lives in you. Could it be that you are failing the test? How do you test yourself? How much time are you spending worrying about what God said he was going to do? How much time are you spending trying to make a way? How much time are you, are you trying to see God has missed it? The timing is running out. How much time are you trying to get in the way of God's plans? And we've got to test ourselves regularly, friends, because it is so easy to want to take the control back. It looks like it's going one way. Everybody says it's going one way. Your knees start shaking. You start doubting and you start trying to make a way where there seems to be no way for yourself. If you're doing that, just repent. Just repent and give it back to God so that he can do it. Faith takes being obedient. It will always take risk. Anything that God is expecting you to do and to trust for is beyond you. It's bigger than you. It's much, much bigger than you. You don't have the finances for it. You don't have the ability for it. You don't have the capacity for it. It is beyond you. That's why it takes risk. Friends, risk is not doing that which is easy for you. Risk is not getting up in the morning and making breakfast. Risk 
is ex it, it's expecting God to meet you when you're jumping. It's expecting God to meet you when you walk on water. It's expecting God to meet you when you've stepped out of the boat. Because you know what he's told you to do. And your response is out of obedience. It takes being intentional. It takes patience. It takes grace. It's never moving in presumption. It takes having our eyes fixed on Jesus. And this is a very big one. It takes not having a back door. So many people have faith with the back door open. If it doesn't work, I'm out of here. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. James 1 verse 6 says, But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Friends, if your faith is wavering and you sitting with another option, a back door for doesn't work, God says you won't receive anything from him. Then you take the reins, you take control, and you solve the problem. Hebrews 10 verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my, my soul shall not be pleasure, have pleasure in him. So God is very strong about the fact, I want you to have unwavering faith to stand no matter what, no matter how impossible it seems. If I've said it, that's the key. If God has said it, he will do it. You come into agreement with God. But you make sure God said it. And you make sure that you've put your hope in what God has said and not in other people. God's prophetic word for us is always for building his kingdom and not for building ours. Matthew 6 verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will look after itself. The key, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Prophetic words that puff you up, that make you important, that make you the VIP, that put you in the glory seat, is not God. Take your hope off that. Take your vision off that. Take your faith off that. Absolutely come before the Father and repent. For being puffed up and for a soul tie of a hope in your fantasy where you've already seen it happening. It's not going to happen the way you think. One thing I know about God, whatever you think it's going to look like, it doesn't. It doesn't look anything like you imagine because God's plans are in his imagination and his mind and his plans and not in ours. And so you just put your faith in him and watch him unfold it and how he's going to do it. To have faith, we have to know what God has said. We have to ask God what we have to do. We have to ask God how we are to prepare ourselves. We have to ask God for the grace that will be needed. And we have to ask God for the timing. Friends, you today cannot carry your promise. No matter what the promises God has got for you, you cannot carry it. You are not ready. And that's the space. That's the timing between where you are and what's going to happen. You've got to prepare yourself. And if you look at every single person in the Bible, every single one of them walked the journey of preparation. Not one of them wanted that journey. I want to say this to you. God doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what he has planned for us. 
Joseph didn't want to be thrown into a pit. He definitely didn't want to be a slave to Potiphar. Esther never wanted to be a harem girl. Daniel never wanted to be castrated. The list just goes on and on and on. And yet as they surrendered to the training, they ended up being in exactly the place that God wanted them to be. The training is Aina. The training is tough. It is a tough road. The walk in God is not an easy street. So many people are saying, but grace is easy. And they're waiting for it to fall on their lap. No, grace makes it easy for you to operate in it while you're walking on a very, very tough road. The road is not easy, friends. And we have to fix and get our minds transformed because we've been taught a cheap gospel and it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace, what does grace mean? In the Old Testament, it means favor and acceptance. In the New Testament, it means charis, which is mercy, kindness, and goodwill. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection through a life. I hear people saying so often, well, grace is un, 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 um, undeserved favor. Well, undeserved favor, we don't deserve grace. But actually, grace means something has happened inside of you and it shows. Grace means that you've had an explosion of the supernatural inside of you, a divine explosion of the supernatural inside of you, and it's oozing out of you. That's what grace means, friends. It doesn't mean, oh, God's forgiven me. I can do what I like and I can live like I like because now I'm living in grace. That is a teaching from the pit of hell, and that is not the truth. Grace means that because of God's goodness and kindness, because of his mercy, he has allowed the Spirit of, of God to explode within you and to show out of you and you are being transformed by the Spirit of God within you. That is the grace. The grace is you don't have to work for it. The grace is you don't have to sacrifice for it. The grace is that you don't have to do all the things that they had to do in the Old Testament. You just have to surrender and He explodes His grace within you. And for every single thing that He has for us, there is another level of grace to be able to complete that which He has for us. Grace means a heart overflowing with the influence and the ability of the Holy Spirit. It is evident because what you will do out of grace will be easy for you. It is not striving or trying to make it happen. And it is evident because others can see it in your life. That is grace, friends. Grace is when the inside, the, the Spirit of God inside of you, the supernatural divine Spirit inside of you starts coming out of you. And it's an overflowing it's not in any way the effort of the flesh to try and be. It's an overflowing of the Spirit of God within you. Many people think there's no effort involved with grace. There's no effort in trying to find the grace. There's no effort in deserving the grace. There's no effort in trying to be holy. But the effort comes in the fact that because of grace, you've got work to do. Because of grace, you have now got to overflow and do things. That grace isn't just for you to sit there and do nothing. That grace is to empower you to be able to do something for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, For by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effort. No, I work harder than all of them. 
yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So friends, grace means you work jolly hard. But you're not working hard to get grace. You're working hard to fulfill grace, to complete grace, to release grace, to let grace pour out of you. That's where the effort comes in. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not for works, so that no one can boast. So I can't come to you and say, oh, look how good I am. Look how amazing I am. Look how wonderful I am. I have worked so hard to get to this place. No, it's grace that changes me from the inside out, that transforms me, and that gives me the ability and the anointing to be able to do things. But it goes on to say in verse 10, for you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So whatever grace he puts on your life, it's so that you can pour it out, so that you can work, so that you can give it away, so that you can pour it into the lives of other people. Grace in your life is for others, friends. It's not for you. And we have to have a revelation of the way the kingdom of heaven works. Walking in grace takes obedience, it takes being intentional, it takes patience, and it takes being single-minded. Faith and grace are gifts, and they work together through humility for God's glory. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Grace is such an incredible gift, friends. It's an incredible free gift. And God has given it to us so that we can be everything he wants us to be. Paul said, I am what I am because of grace. You are what you are because of grace. What does he want you to do with that grace? Romans 12 verse 3 said, For I said through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think soberly according to God's what God has dealt to every man for God, sorry, but to think soberly, for God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, who am I? I'm nothing. I'm just a I'm just a human vessel. I'm just a person that is got human needs, human emotions, everything else. But I'm walking in a grace and I have a faith. And because of that, I'm able to achieve things that are beyond myself. They are way beyond myself. And friends, the moment that I think anything about the achievement coming from me, I've puffed myself up and I've put myself in a very dangerous position. <coughs> and I've taken glory that belongs to God and I've taken it to me. Um, there is grace for every single thing that God has called us to do. And we don't all have the grace for the same things. There's different measures of grace, depending on what God has called us to be. And you'll know what you're called to be by the grace you carry. Excuse me. <coughs> if you don't have the grace, you <coughs> sorry. If you don't have the grace, you don't have the calling. It's as simple as that. If you've got to try and make it happen, if it's hard work, you don't have the calling. You're striving. 
If you have the grace, it's easy for you and you have the calling. Romans 12 verse 6 says, having then grace differing according to the having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether it's prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Ephesians 4 verse 7 and 11 and 12 says, but to each of us grace has been given as Christ appointed it. Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip people in his work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So many people are self-appointed fivefold ministry. How do you know they're self-appointed? Well, there's no grace. They're striving. They're trying to impress people. They've got all kinds of scaffolding in place. It's a VIP thing for them. They've got all the fancy cars and the fancy titles and the people walking around carrying their bags. That's not grace, friends. That's self-promotion. How do you know when there's a grace on it? There's a humility, and they get on, they do the job, and they just pour themselves out so that the body of Christ can come into maturity and can come into unity. That is the reason for the grace for the fivefold anointing. And there's always a, a following up of signs, wonders, and miracles where there's a grace. Because where God gives grace, the supernatural starts happening. In Acts 14 verse 3 it says, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of this grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The signs and wonders are the confirmation of the grace on your life. That's how we know that somebody's walking in a grace. And there's grace for everything. There's a grace to be saved. There's a grace for justification. There's a grace for the transformation that comes with sanctification. And there's a grace for everything God's called you to do. And we've just got a slipstream in the grace of God. That is our Christian walk. And that's when it becomes easy. Faith is a growing gift. When we get faith, that original measure of faith that every single person is given, we have a responsibility to grow it. So there are three different types of faith. The first is the measure that we are given, and that's described in Romans 12 verse 3. It says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to God's the way God has dealt with every man, the measure of of faith so God gives every man a measure of faith that comes to him every one of us was given a measure of faith a little teaspoonful of faith and that faith is like yeast and we have to allow it to grow by putting it in the right environment friends or we can kill it by not putting it in an environment where it can take root and where it can grow so the second way that that our faith is developed is through growing it and the Holy Spirit um, the Holy Spirit within us and the fruit of the Spirit within us anoints that faith to grow. The more we allow the changes within, the sanctifying change of God within, the more the fruit of the Spirit starts living through our lives, the more faith grows in us, friends. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is faith. Now we have to understand that faith grows when we start stepping out in faith. You will never grow in faith. If you live according to that which you can cope with and afford. The moment that you live beyond that, it's a faith step. The moment you have to pray for someone for healing, it's a faith step. Remember, the healing is not your responsibility, it's God's. Stepping out in faith is yours. The moment you've got to step out in faith to trust God for finances, to trust Him for relationships, 
to trust him for anything that is beyond you, you are growing your faith. And friends, God takes us on a journey specifically to allow us to grow our faith. You will never ever trust God to raise the dead if you've never ever trusted him for a loaf of bread. The more that you trust God, the more your faith grows. And that is why when we go to areas that are poverty stricken like Africa, like um, India, like Myanmar, the people are not self-sufficient. And because they're not self-sufficient, their faith levels are so high and so many miracles happen because they trust God. And friends, the shaking that we've been living in has been God removing that which is our own self-sufficiency so that we can trust him. This is not a time to get hope deferred, hard-hearted and angry with God. This is a time to say, God, thank you for the opportunity for my faith to grow. Friends, if you want to see the supernatural, you've got to get your financial system out of the way so that God can provide for you. If you want to see the people healed, you've got to go to sick people and pray for sick people to get healed. If you want to see the dead raised, you've got to go and pray over the dead. It's as simple as that. Why does God allow sickness and allow death and allow these things to happen? So that his children can grow in the supernatural grace of divine power within them and operate as sons of God the way he intended for them to be, to live in their glory state as glory carriers, sons of God, in the fullness of the measure of faith that he wants to grow within them. So we see that faith grows. <clears throat> and then it says in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, Brothers, at all times we are obligated to thank God for you because your faith is growing all the time and the, and the love every one of you have for each other is increasing. It's so amazing that Paul says to the Thessalonians, we're just praising God because we're watching you growing in faith and growing in love. And it's the most amazing thing because the two of them are hand in glove. The more you love people, the more you're going to step out in faith for people. And it's so important to keep growing our faith. Friends, you might have seen the supernatural many years ago. What are you doing today? You might have once walked in a measure of faith because there were great revivals when there was an ease to see the supernatural. But what are you doing today? Are you growing your faith? Are you stepping out? Are you, are you waiting for somebody else to do it? God is waiting for you. Um, then the third way is that we can receive that supernatural injection of faith. And that comes with the power gifts, the dunamis gifts of 1, uh, of, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where it says there are nine gifts of the power gifts of God, where supernatural heaven's level of faith and heaven's level of the miraculous comes and lands on us and we are able to operate in that. But to be able to receive that, you have to wait in the presence of God for the Spirit to come on you. Remember the indwelling Spirit you can get by the laying on of hands, but for that Spirit to come on you, for the fire of God to come on you, that's where the dunamis power comes on you and that injection of faith. And we can't live there, friends, because we'll burn out. But it is an injection of faith that creates something inside of you that is a supernatural level of understanding of God can do it no matter what the circumstances. <clears throat> And we have to ask him for that. We've got to wait on him for that. We've got to trust him for that. We've got to be the ones that are prepared to sacrifice time for that to happen. So many people are saying, well, why isn't God moving? Well, why haven't you gone to fetch the power? The power comes when you go and fetch it. And he wants to give it to you and he wants to lay it on you. Acts 6 verse 8 says, and Stephen 
full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Friends, whatever you believe, you will receive. Whatever you believe, you will receive. We're living in a time where people are so tossed about by all the sickness, by all the death, by everything that's happening. What you believe, you will receive. If you believe in fear, your, what you fear will come upon you. Remember, hope can either be expecting bad news, and if you expect bad news, guess what's going to come? Bad news. Or it can be expectant of good things, and that's what you will receive. Whatever you believe, you will receive. Whatever you firmly put your faith in. At this point of time, people are putting their faith in a whole lot of things, but they're not putting their faith in God. When we put our faith in God, He directs our path to the things that we are needing in this time, friends. Matthew 9 verse 22 says, But God turned him about, but God turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Matthew 9 29 says, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Whatever you believe, friends, you will receive. But there are two things that work very, very hard to destroy faith. And the one is fear. Fear is not the opposite of faith. Fear comes to destroy faith. And the other one is the spirit of unbelief. Now, it says in Mark 4 verse 40, And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The Bible says perfect love casts out all faith. Oh, so sorry. Perfect love casts out all fear. And where there's perfect love, there's great faith. And that's exactly what he said in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. Perfect love for our Father. Perfect love for each other. Great faith. But if you've got fear, it steals your faith. It erodes away your faith. And, and that is rooted because you don't have the understanding that you are loved. That you are a child of God. That He loves you. That He's in control. That He will not let you down. That type of love gives us an unshakable faith. And if you don't have that unshakable faith, that's where you've got to go for restoration. Go back to the Father and let Him restore your relationship with Him. It's all about our relationship with the Father. So here He said, why is it that you've got no faith? In Luke 12 verse 28 it says, If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow cast into the uh, um, into the oven how much more will he not clothe you oh you of little faith stop concerning yourself about what you will eat and what you will drink and stop being distressed because it is the unbelievers who are concerned about these things as i said to you before trusting god and believing in god to do it means this is where you're at. That's where the promise is. You can't see the result, but you're not spending that time worrying about it. You're spending that time with your eyes fixed on Jesus, worshiping him, loving him, confidently in peace, living every day until his plan is fulfilled in your life. Um, Luke 18 verse 8 says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on earth. Jesus has poured out liters and liters and liters and liters and liters of faith into all the believers. It's our responsibility to grow it. The enemy sends fear and the enemy sends unbelief to steal our faith. And the Bible says when Jesus comes, will he find any faith on earth? Will we have stewarded? 
Will we have stewarded the faith that we've been given well? What is unbelief? It is a spirit that fights against faith. Unbelief means weakness in faith. It means to be unfaithful. It means to be without trust. It means to be a heathen or an infidel. It means to be a skeptic. And it means to be a non-believer. So unbelief can literally go from just not believing the way you should to completely being a non-believer. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel of truth. They cannot believe it because they have been blinded by the God of this world. Matthew 13, 58 says, Jesus was rejected in Nazareth. He did not perform many miracles there because of their unbelief. If Jesus could not perform miracles where unbelief was operating, we will never be able to do that, friends. I said to you what you believe, you will receive. We wonder why so many people are not receiving healing. Well, we don't know the level of unbelief that's operating in that situation for them to be able to heal. We also see that the seven sons of Sceva who were not full of power and not full of authority, who had not come to the Father to have the grace and to have everything that they needed for the journey, they went out without it. They were almost destroyed by the enemy. But Peter and the disciples and those that went and waited and prepared themselves well were able to walk in great authority and great grace and absolutely annihilate that which came against the truth and the word of God. So if Jesus could not perform where there was great unbelief, how much more in today's day when the church has got hope deferred and she's not walking in faith will we see the miraculous happening? Hebrews 3 verse 12 says, See to it that no evil, which means harassed by labor, in other words, worrying all the time about works, also means the devil. See to it that no evil, unbelieving heart is found in any of you, as shown by your turning away from the living God. See to it is our responsibility, friends, to not let worries about work or the enemy come in causing an unbelieving heart and turning us away from the true living God. Mark 16 verse 14 says, Finally, he appeared to the eleven while they were eating. He rebuked them for their unbelief and stubbornness because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So here we have Jesus who promised them that he was coming back. He told them what was going to happen. They died. That was our hope deferred. Jesus is gone. The 12, the 11 of them sat there with their hope deferred, feeling sorry for themselves, having lost vision and direction. People came and said, it's happening. He's alive. He's coming back. They refused to believe it. Why? Because they had hope deferred and their hearts had been hardened and they had unbelief. And Jesus rebuked them <clears throat> so that he was able to bring them back into their rightful place. Remember, friends, Jesus' plan is always to bring us back into our rightful place. He doesn't want to condemn us. He doesn't want to reject us. He just wants us to repent so that we can come back into our rightful place. And yeah, he took the 12 men, 11 of them now, that had walked with him. And he rebuked them. And they were found in that place where many people are found today because we've been shaken by what's been going on. They were shaken by what's been going on. And he said, what is this, guys? And he rebuked them for their unbelief so that they could rise up in the authority of grace and faith and new hope to be all that he created them to be. And that's what God is wanting from you. 
He's wanting you to shake off and repent for unbelief and to repent for fixing your eyes on people and all kinds of other things instead of fixing your eyes on Jesus and finding out from him what it is that he has, which they then had to do. And then he empowered them by the outpouring of the Spirit to be able to walk in the fullness of the grace that he had for them. Go and receive the fire of the Spirit so that you can walk in the fullness of that authority and grace as well. Um, what is grace? It is a gift from God, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 17. It is for our salvation, Acts 15 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they were. It's for our justification, which means to be rendered innocent. Romans 3 verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Titus 3 verse 7 says that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So grace is a gift for every single step of the way. Faith is that supernatural belief in what cannot be seen to bring it and to manifest it on earth. Grace is there for our sanctification where we are being made holy mentally. Acts 20 verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It is to help us to resist sin, friends. Grace is not there so that we can sin. Grace is there to help us to resist sin so that we don't fall into the trap of sin. Titus 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Romans 6 verse 14 to 15 says, For sin has no dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. <clears throat> it's interesting for me that in Titus 2 verse 11, it says to live upright and godly lives in this present age. So many people say that the Bible is old-fashioned, that having a moral understanding of purity is old-fashioned, that God has moved on, that the world has moved on, that we're living in a different era. God says, I'm giving you grace for your age. I'm giving you grace to live in the age that you are in so that you can live a godly, upright life in the age that you are in. So friends, the Bible is never old-fashioned. Grace is always constant. It's always for the right now. It's always to help us to resist everything that the enemy has to throw at us. Okay. <clears throat> our lives in Christ. Oh, sorry. And, and, and grace is also there for our salvation. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is something you need to do. There is effort in working out your salvation. For it is in Christ who works in you and will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose in you. We have to come into agreement. We've got to work with God. There is effort that comes with faith, that comes with grace, that comes with hope, that comes with working out our salvation. There is great effort. Friends, if you believe that grace makes it easy and it should fall on your lap and that the doors will just open and that you live in favor, you believing a lie. We do live in favor. 
We live in the favor of God. That means that no matter how difficult the road, he's going to be, make a way where there seems to be no way. We live in favor, but the favor is not always for you. Sometimes it's through you for other people. It's always about favor. But you've got to know which is the favor that you may keep and which is the favor that you've got to give away. Because favor is always operating, but it's not always operating for you. And we have to understand that. Um, our lives in Christ is an ever-increasing journey of supernatural growth, maturity, and power through the tough terrain, preparing us for eternity with Him. It is not a highway of ease and compromise. It is not a highway of just expecting everything to happen, but um, taking us directly into our destiny. You know, I've heard people saying, but God said this 20 years ago, nothing's happened. Oh, I don't believe God's going to do it. Well, in that 20 years, what's he been doing to prepare you? What have you been doing to prepare yourself? He didn't say, drop it out of heaven one day and the next day you're going to walk in it. There is that preparation. It's not a highway of ease. It is a tough terrain preparing you for eternity. But it is a winding narrow path with many, many obstacles along the journey to build endurance, stamina, faithfulness, and to establish us securely on Jesus, our rock, and our mighty strong, strong tower, and to totally cause us to be dependent on the provision and the direction of our Father. We are created to be a people motivated through love, ignited through hope, empowered through faith, operating through grace, vessels of humility, for the glory of our King. Friends, I really pray that I have stretched you a bit today, that I've caused you to think today, that I've caused you to see things from a different perspective. This journey that we call Christianity is not an easy journey. It costs you everything. But to be able to walk this road we have the fullness of hope. This is where you're going and this is what I'm going to do. You have the faith to be able to bring that into the earth and to establish it. You've got the grace to carry you to make it easy for you to do it. It is motivated by the love of the Father in you and the love of the Father through you for other people. And at the end of the day, when people look at you, God is glorified. That's what faith, hope, and grace means. And that's the journey that we have to walk and we have to live in. I'm just going to end off by reading this to you again. We are created to be a people, motivated through love, ignited through hope, empowered through faith, operating through grace, vessels of humanity for the glory of our incredible King Jesus. Bless you all so abundantly. And until we meet again, I trust that this has been hopeful and it's been life-changing for you. Goodbye.